Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. This week we will be returning to our series, The Life of Jesus, as our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, delivers a message derived from the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. You can follow along in Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5, or by using the YouVersion Bible app. Healing is in Christ's hands. Have you been touched by those hands? If you were here Friday evening, you saw a, de- a delightful experience. And as David said, the, this young blonde-haired lady that was singing where I'm standing was Elsa that evening. I think she did. But she's also, she's been singing around here since she was in middle school or high school. So it's fun to watch these talented young people grow up. And now she's out of college and still singing and doing Adventure Week and other things. The other young lady with the guitar is uh, Kinsley Moore. I told you she has a, a project on iTunes. You can dial it in. The proceeds go to missions. So I don't mind encouraging the, the efforts of these young women that love the Lord. Today we continue the Life of Jesus series. And today's message is Healing Paralysis. Does everyone have a book? Are you all reading? It's okay if you miss a day. I mean, most of the readings are fairly short. Now, there are some days that they're lengthy, but most of them are not. So, reading the life of Jesus in a narrative, I think, just ties it all together so much better than just hearing an occasional message from the life of Jesus here and there. So, that's why we're going through this whole book, The Harmony of the Gospels. You know, eternal life is... To know God and the one he sent. And so as we know Christ, we grow in intimacy with God. So that's what we're doing. That's why we're pursuing relationship with Jesus by learning his life. You know, in this story, after, Ju- after leaving Judea, remember John the Baptist was arrested and Jesus left Judea, which is the southern part of the country. Jerusalem is in Judea. He traveled north through Samaria. We saw last week as he was journeying through Samaria, the middle of the country. And then he traveled north to the region of Galilee, which is where the Lake of Galilee, it's called a sea, but that's actually incorrect because it's a freshwater lake, a beautiful lake. In Galilee, he selected his disciples. In fact, only one disciple was not from Galilee. You know who it was? One disciple was not from Galilee. Judas Iscariot was from the region of Judea in the south. And then he began teaching and healing. Take out your message guide. You see the outline on the front. Here's a passage from one of the earlier readings, but it summarizes the teaching ministry of Jesus. So they brought to him all who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, that just means the 10 cities that were east of the Jordan River, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan River. Now, the healings were signs performed by Jesus to confirm his identity as God's son, as the long-awaited Messiah, The healings caused people from all over the country to 
seek him out, to search him out because they wanted a miracle. They, sometimes they wanted food, but they wanted something from him. So we began our reading for today, which is 45. And it's captioned, healing of a paralyzed man. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town, Capernaum, again. Now, is Capernaum where he grew up? Where did he grow up? Come on now, y'all got to wake up a little bit in here. Terry, get that crowd back there. Where did he grow up? I need some participation, or I'm going to keep y'all till two o'clock. He grew up in Nazareth, yes. He didn't grow up in Capernaum, but if you've been reading, you saw that he showed up in Nazareth and they were excited to see him because they wanted him to work all the miracles that he'd been working everywhere else in his hometown. And he wouldn't do it. He essentially said and paraphrased, sometimes God's miracles are not for the people of Israel. Sometimes others are healed. And it made them mad. And they took him out to the edge of the hill and they were going to throw him off. You read this, right? This week. (laughs) But it's interesting. They had him. They were going to fling him over the hill and he passed through them and left. But he moved to Capernaum. 20 miles away. And it's a city right on the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is. Real small town. After these days, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, even near the door. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law Now, teachers of the law, in some translations, are called scribes. In other translations, they're called lawyers. But these teachers or these scribes actually were the ones who copied the Scripture. But they also preserved it. They also studied it and interpreted it. So they were like theologians as well. So they were there. The scribes were there with the Pharisees. And they were sitting there. And they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea. It's about 70 miles. Jerusalem to the the Sea of Galilee is about 70 miles. But also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Does that strike you strange? Strangely? The Lord's power to heal was in him. See, I think we think that Jesus really was always divine, always had this supernatural power, and just sort of appeared normal like a man. But Jesus abdicated that power. In fact, Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. But he performed miracles, empowered by God's Spirit, according to God's will. He lived as a human he, he, so he actually suffered the kind of temptation that we do. He gave up his divine rights. Read that in Philippians chapter 2. And he was speaking his message, the message to them. Now Pharisees, the word literally means separated ones. And they were the most influential of the Jewish sects. S-E-C-T-S. If you come from Georgia, all words sound alike. <laughs> or, or parties 
They're almost like political parties. So there were the Pharisees and there were two other main ones. What were they? Sadducees and the Essenes. The Sadducees were the elite. The Pharisees were more middle class. Sadducees were wealthy. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a resurrection. So the Sadducees were sad, you see. Y'all like that, I know. If I tried to do high-level humor, you would all miss it. The Essenes were those who copied the Dead Sea Scrolls and hid them away. They lived in a real barren area out from Jerusalem, down near the Dead Sea. In fact, last week, another cave, the 12th cave, was discovered, and more scrolls were discovered. Which is interesting, because, you know, there's, there's all this combating about, well, who owned this land first? But, but the scrolls are written in Hebrew and Greek. None are written in Arabic. They diligently obeyed the Old Testament law, the Pharisees. And they followed the oral traditions that the rabbis had written to tell how to obey the law. But they also, you see, they put forth so much effort. They were so diligent and dutiful that for a lot of them, it filled them with this self-righteous pride. And they actually even disdained the common people. And they avoided defilement of anyone. That included all Gentiles, certainly all Samaritans. We saw that last week. But also tax collectors and anybody they defined as a sinner. These Pharisees were not there to learn. Neither were the scribes. The Pharisees were there to discern, weren't there to discern whether he was the Messiah. The Pharisees and the scribes were there to catch Jesus in a mistake. Their purpose was to find some fault. Their purpose was to discredit him, not to confirm his identity at all. Now this morning, we'll see how a particular paralyzed man was healed by Jesus. But we want to reflect how this applies to you. See, every bit of the scripture is inspired by God. But what that means is that if you possess the spirit, then there is an application for you in every story. I urge you as you read, get, a, get one of these bound notebooks and, and just write, reading number 45, and answer, answer this question, what does this mean to me? And it let God show you the application for you. Because see, you can read this story here. Oh, we all know this story. I don't know anybody paralyzed. I don't, you know, this doesn't fit our time. It does. But we have to reflect on the people around us who are paralyzed. There are many in this room paralyzed right now. They can walk. We have some in our church who who, uh, are unable to walk, uh, not not a whole lot. But there, there are a lot of ways to be paralyzed. And there are people who are unable or unwilling to seek help, to receive healing. They might be unwilling to move forward because of some physical, some emotional, some spiritual reasons, all of which are paralysis. Some are unable merely because of immaturity. 
Now you go, oh, suddenly I'm included in this story. Well, how do we motivate the immobile? That's the application for many of us today. First, we need dedicated friends. Just then, some men came carrying a stretcher, some translations say a mat, on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, before Jesus, tried to bring him in the house where Jesus was teaching. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, bless you, and removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. We don't know the medical cause of this man's paralysis. We know it wasn't contagious because he was brought into this crowd. Unlike leprosy. Lepers weren't allowed to come around other people. That's why they lived together in a leper colony because their, their illness, their disease was highly contagious. So even though this paralyzed man didn't have a contagious disease, he still carried a stigma because people of this time believed that if you had an illness, it was because there was a judgment of God against you for some sin. Now, not all of us accept that, but some of us secretly believe that God is punishing us for something that's happened. Something we've done. These men were dedicated to their handicapped friend. Perhaps they were even family members. But they were committed to helping him receive healing. We don't know how far they carried him. Perhaps they lived in Capernaum and they only had to carry him a short distance. But perhaps they lived 70 miles away. And the weight of a man, an adult man, is hard to bear over very uneven terrain and rocky substances and ridges and valleys so they had exerted effort even if they had only carried him a few blocks. But they were determined that they were not going to give up without getting the paralyzed man to the one who might be able to help. Houses in Israel were typically one story with a flat patio roof accessible by external stairs. So when these men could not enter the house, they climbed the steps to the roof. They figured out where Jesus was located in the house and they began digging through the roof. Typical roofs were made of with large beams spanning from wall to wall. The houses were very small. I told you there wasn't a lot of wood and timber, but they, would, they could acquire timber for their houses like that. They would put it as, as roof trusses. 
And then they would have rafters either with, with branches or sticks or thorn bushes, which was, were then covered by thatch consistent of twigs, straw, brush, mud. And sometimes, like in this particular house, there were tiles. But these weren't ceramic tiles. These were poor people. And so what a tile was, was a slab of dried mud with straw mixed in to give it some cohesion. So these men are digging. When the hole was large enough, they lowered their disabled friend. They perhaps brought uh, ropes or, or they counted on the people inside to help them. He was lowered on the stretcher or mat down in front of Jesus. Imagine the scene. See, see, we've all spiritualized this thing. It's all sanitary. We have a hard time reading the Bible because we have just brushed all the dust and mud and muck and mire off of it. I want you to get in this scene. I want you to imagine someone starts cutting a hole in your roof. Well, that's ridiculous. That's exactly what happened. And it's interesting, in the notes, the, the uh, author of our book said that Perhaps permission was given. I don't see any permission. I don't know. I'd like to call him up and say, why were you trying to be so nice? Imagine the scene. Mud, dirt, sticks, straw falling on your head. Now remember, this house is completely jam-packed with people. Somebody got there early and got got the seat right at his feet. So you're at his feet. You got there hours ahead. And suddenly, you're full of dirt. And the stretcher is getting lowered right on top of you. How do you feel about that? Why do y'all be cursing up a storm? Don't spiritualize to me. I mean, if somebody gets in front of you in line at the dead gumballo, you're... But they wanted their friend to have a chance to be healed. They weren't worried about whether people were mad. They weren't concerned about incurring the expense of repairing this roof back. They weren't even bothered that they might be irritating the miracle worker. Imagine you're the paralyzed person. You're in this this situation. Would you want to be lowered through the roof? How about it, Jane? Would you be worried about what was happening to the people and how they were? Yeah, that's real. He's sitting here and they're saying, you're going through the roof. And he's saying, I don't want to go through that roof. You're going through the roof. So they're digging the hole. He's saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't want this. And you know what they said? Thou must go before the Savior. You think they said that? What'd they say? Shut up, you're going in. Now y'all might understand that I would do that, but I told told them this morning, I said, y'all think David Hardy's so sweet, he'd be worse than me. He just smiles a lot. But the man on the stretcher was humiliated 
He's going on top of these people. He's ruining their day. He's making them filthy. He's forcing them back. His friends didn't care. You're going in. So he was dropped abruptly, rudely, into the middle of the furious crowd. You think I'm making that up? See, y'all can't see it because you spiritualize everything. You got to strip all this spiritualizing out of the Bible so it becomes real. Then you can take it to work tomorrow. Do you have a friend or family member who needs to be brought to Christ? Who needs to be saved? Who needs to be healed? Who needs to be helped in some way? Maybe struggling with a disease. Perhaps there's some conflict. Maybe addiction, despair, depression. Or listen to this, parents. Here comes another one. I'm now a grandfather. Or immaturity. Immaturity. What are you going to do to help some healing, some growth, some health happen? Have you noticed how little inconvenience or trouble or expense it takes for us to give up on attempting to help someone move forward? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have given up trying to help somebody because they didn't receive you nicely? Here's the question. Are you willing to be disliked on earth to be appreciated in heaven? We back up way too quickly. I'm not saying be aggressive always, be humble, but don't be scared to death that someone will be mad with you if you try to help them. Some of you parents are scared to death of your own kids. I want y'all to understand this. Now, y'all hold on to your seat. Remember, I'm a grandfather talking. Children and youth are immature. And many of them are not born again. So we wonder why they're not interested. Well, they don't have a spiritual basis. And so we say, well, you don't want to go? Well, then you can stay home. Do you ask them that on Monday or Tuesday morning when it's time to go to school? Do you ask them that when it's even time to go to practice? And yet, we put the lowest common, lowest level on spirituality, which is the most important thing. Well, my kid doesn't want to go because they don't know anybody. Well, then why don't you go with them and help them know somebody? You think their teacher at school said, oh, well, I'll let you out of this class since you don't know anybody in here. But look at, you say, well, y'all are giggling, but it's nervous laughter. Because look at the different standards we have. And which is really more important. Well, mine doesn't want to be involved. Okay, your child doesn't want to be involved and be influenced by someone who who knows God and wants to help them know God so they know God's word and they know how to live throughout their lives. But they're not going to miss soccer or dance. Doesn't make sense, does it? And you know why it's happening? Because we're so weak. Here's what I, here's my promise to you. You have a kid, he doesn't want to be involved. He doesn't, she doesn't want to do. You go and you meet the men that lead these ministries, the women that volunteer, the folks that help. 
You look at their lives, you find out what they believe, you look at their character and how they live. And if you find one that's flawed, you come back and tell me or David and we'll do something about it. But if you find these are people that love God and want our children, our youth to know God, it isn't your kid's choice anymore, you see? Well, I want to go over here. Well, I want to go over there. But see, when that boyfriend doesn't show attention, then they'll be right back. You make the decision. The paralyzed man didn't get to make the decision because the wiser people who were more committed to his welfare said, no, you're going in the hole. They thank you, but later. You see what I'm saying? Don't, don't need for them to, everybody to thank you now. You get your appreciation from God. And when God works, then you get the, your appreciation from them. You see my point? Sometimes family members have to be forced to stop destructive behavior. You know, in some of these families, and I know y'all just went home for Christmas, and, oh, we want peace. Why do you want peace? It's better to tear a hole in the roof when there's something bad going on and somebody's being abused or somebody's being mistreated or somebody really is addicted and they're acting like they're not. Tear some holes in the roof. I'm not saying be cruel, but I am saying be persistent. You dig a hole in that roof. Our passivity is killing our families. It's destroying our churches. It's weakening our nation. Aren't you sick of being passive? I'm not saying be mean and aggressive, but I am saying be persistent. You know, some of you parents, you've been carrying that child all his life. You know what? One time my child said, well, I don't want to do that. I said, well let, me, well, let me say this. I'm the one that changed your diapers. Your, my, your mother and I gave you baths. We put clothes on your body. We, so you get to do what we say. I, and I'm not saying be brutal. I'm, I, listen, and listen, as always, if you think, well, Perry's in left field, then you, you, but you pray about it and then discount it. But this idea that my, child, my 15-year-old child is running my home is going to decide what she or he does spiritually, that doesn't make any sense. You, he doesn't get to decide if he goes to the doctor or if he goes to school, and he might even have a bad teacher. You care more about who his teacher is than you do that he knows Jesus Christ who will save his soul who will usher her into heaven and teach her how to live on earth. Children can live morally. But they won't live morally unless you set some standards. Children can know God. But they won't know God unless you show them what knowing God looks like. It's on you. It's on you. So dig a hole. What are you willing to do to help a friend, to help a family member, to help a child Move in the right direction. Motivating the immobile requires desperate faith. See in their faith, he said, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, it says when Jesus saw the faith of these men, their faith. Does it mean that they all knew he was the Messiah? What do you think? Who knows? Does it mean that he, they all knew he was the Messiah? Come on, y'all, get some courage. I don't think so either. That's good courage. See there, see how much you learn now. Get y'all, 
y'all need to all run a lap around this circle. I need to start. You have to run a lap before you can come in here. But when it says Jesus saw the faith of this man, I don't think it means they knew who he was. See, here's the thing. We have metamorphosized the word faith to mean something about us that we are you know, doing. The Greek word that's translated faith is pistis. What it means is persuasion, conviction, trust, reliance, assurance, belief, dependence. These men had heard Jesus could heal. These men had even, maybe even witnessed a healing. Jesus had even healed other paralytics. It says that in reading 43. And so they likely knew that or someone told them or even they witnessed it. So they came. They weren't convinced that Jesus would heal their friend. They came relying, depending, hoping that he could and would. He's our only hope. That's faith. He's my only hope. That's faith. Their reliant trust, their utter dependence on Jesus is what caused them to carry him perhaps for dozens of miles. And then to take him up on the roof of a house they didn't own in Capernaum and claw through the roof. Leanne and I have been to that house. Capernaum's a little small village. You could put all of Capernaum that they've uncovered in less than this building. The houses are tightly packed. But one house was the house of Andrew's mother. Remember, Jesus had already healed her and raised her from the bed. And so what happened is this little small house made of limestone, had been expanded and then expanded again because it became the church in that community. In fact, today, there's a Catholic church sitting on top of it. You see that picture? And you can see through the floor to the church below where Jesus did this miracle. What Jesus said next might have surprised them. He forgave the man's sin. Now, perhaps this disabled man was full of guilt and shame and and perhaps he was thinking, you know, I've done something terrible and God's judged me. The Bible doesn't say that. You can think that, but, but what God wants us to know, it's in there. Perhaps the onlookers in the house were all wondering, wonder what terrible thing this guy did. Maybe, you know, maybe he's done something to deserve not being able to move. But it doesn't say that either, does it? What we do know is that Jesus dealt with the man's greatest problem first. You know about that, don't you? Dealt with the greatest problem first. And that was his sin against God. Matthew 51, 4. Even if some particular sin is not the direct cause of a person's disease, and John 9 says it's not. Why is this man blind? What did he do? Did he, do, did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus said neither sin. This is so the glory of God can be shown. But ultimately, all illness and death results from the entrance of sin into the world. Adam and Eve died spiritually the instant they disobeyed. But they would die physically as well because of their disobedience. 
And we have inherited from them a fatal disease, sin. Sin is more devastating than any sickness or illness, than any handicap, than any disability, because it damages our life on earth, but it destroys our chance to enter heaven. What is your greatest problem? Is it physical illness? No, mine's financial distress. No, mine's relational difficulty. Could it be sin? See, we latch on to this physical stuff, don't we? Financial stuff, relational stuff. And what's simmering through our lives, we pay no attention to at all. And that's the destructive cause that's at the core. Have you sought help for that disease from the Savior? I believe, you know what? I believe in healing and there'll be people here at the end that can pray for you. You know, I, I, we learned about, I read a book, I learned about a man in Cleveland that had seen many people healed when he prayed. I'm diabetic, been diabetic since I was eight years old. Both of my daughters are. So I said, you know what? I, God has healed people in our church, but I thought, you know what? If this guy has some special spiritual gift, I want to see it. Aubrey couldn't go, but Leanne Evan and I climbed on a plane, went up there, got prayed for. We didn't get healed. We weren't promised by God we were going to get healed. But my point is, carry the stretcher. Dig a hole in the roof. Go to where God is at work and see what might happen. When attempting to motivate the immobile, there will arise determined foes. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to reason. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Blasphemy is dishonoring God. And it could be punishable by death. First century Jews had three classes or three levels of blasphemy. There was speaking evil against the law of God, the law of Moses. There was speaking evil about God directly. But the third and the most serious was claiming to possess divine authority and equality with God. And that was the offense Jesus was accused of when he was put to death. But isn't it interesting The Jews' statement that only God can forgive sins was absolutely correct. Every sin is ultimately an act of rebellion against God. Now, it may be committed against someone on earth, but it's ultimately against God and his righteousness. And the right to forgive or the right to condemn belongs to God alone because he's our creator and he owns our lives and we will reckon to him in the end. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you reasoning this in your hearts? Why are you thinking this way? Because he knew, he knew their thoughts, which again proved he was divine. Because only God is all-knowing, omniscient. John 2, 25, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But notice what we don't see about these religious leaders. They want to find something he's done wrong. They're not interested at all in a man who might have been lame from birth being able to walk. 
They just wanted to find something to criticize, something to condemn. Have you noticed that when you're trying to help a person who's struggling, who's suffering, perhaps that person is even resistant to your help. But people who are doing nothing will criticize your efforts. And it might be taking them to church or saying, nope, you're going to Sunday school, you're going to student ministry, you're going to a counselor, you're gonna have transformation prayer. You say, well, I don't believe in any of that. Well, say, well, why don't you see the end result? Well, it is easy to criticize, isn't it? It takes courage to go in search of the Savior and see what he has. Celebrate recovery. Well, that's not, that's not for me. Who said it's not for you? This addi- did addiction's for you? He continued. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man, Son of Man is the title that Jesus most called himself. Uh, it, it, it identifies him as human, fully human, but Son of Man's also a title from Daniel chapter 7 that identifies the Messiah. But so you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Okay, then that question's confusing, don't you think? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Which is easier to say? Which one's easier to say? What's that bunch back there? What's that bunch back there with you, Terry, saying? Say it again. How's it any easier? Get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. Which one took me great effort? Neither. Neither one is easier. See there, y'all get all whipped up into spirituality. Stop getting spiritual. Say, I don't know what he's talking about. This does not make any sense. One's not harder to say than the other. Go get me a Coke. Go get me a Pepsi. Which one's harder to say? (laughs) Neither's harder to say. So you got to go, well, then what does he mean here? What does this mean? Think of this phrase as this. Which one is easier to confirm? See, there's no way, when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, who would know? Would the Pharisees know? No. Would the crowd know? No. Would the paralyzed man even know he'd been forgiven? Not likely. But it was very easy to confirm that this man who could not walk can now walk. Which healing also identified Jesus as the Messiah. Isaiah 35, 5-7. Jesus purposely waited to heal the paralyzed man until after he displayed his authority to forgive sins. And by healing the paralyzed man, he proved his authority over sin and its effects. Jesus affirmed the truth that only God can forgive sins. And then he proved that he could forgive sins, which identified him as God. 
Who are you helping right now? Who are you trying to move forward? Who are you trying to mobilize? But you're discouraged and, and this person's resistant and you're being criticized by others. They're just saying, oh, just leave them alone. You're just, just stirring people up. Here's what I have to say for you. Trust God and keep digging. Stop being dependent on everybody's approval around you. Again, I'm not saying be rude, be arrogant, be hateful. I didn't say any of that. But you trust God. And what? Keep digging. Keep digging. And then motivating the immobile produces delighted followers. Immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Okay, so this man, Jesus said, get up. He got up. He picked up his stretcher, and he didn't get an appointment slip to go see a therapist on Monday. Whenever Jesus healed anyone, they experienced complete recovery. No lingering effects, no need for recuperation, no follow-up physician's appointment. But it did not mean they would never be sick again. You see that? Lazarus was raised from the dead. He would die again. This paralyzed man walked out of the room. But there would be a day when he was without life. He was healed. But I think he was saved too. Because he became a new creation who didn't just come wanting a healing, but who worshiped and glorified God. New creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But was anyone else saved? Y'all think anybody else in the house was saved? What do you think? Did anybody else believe? It says, then everyone was astounded and they were given glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. The man was no longer paralyzed. The, the spectators were amazed and encouraged. And let me, I will say this. Whenever someone's life changes dramatically through an encounter with Jesus Christ and is transformed, other people are always affected. And you don't have to be paralyzed you don't have to be sick and healed. You know what? Because the sickest you can be is dominated by sin. That's the sickest you can be. And you get transformed. And suddenly you're a new creation. And it's natural for you to love God, love his people, love his word, praise his name. People notice that. And they're influenced to inquire for themselves. I think some spectators were saved because they witnessed a miracle. But, but the way they witnessed it wasn't just humanly observing this. They encountered the Savior spiritually and they gave glory to God. See, miracles don't by themselves convert anyone. Everybody understand that? No one. Look at this verse. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. And you find it throughout the scripture. See, all right, 
I'm about to let you go, but you got to lo- clean out your ears on this. And I want you to hear this clearly. Jesus' miracles were performed practically before humans. They were physically observable. Salvation doesn't occur humanly. Salvation doesn't occur practically or naturally. Salvation occurs, what did he say to Nicodemus a few weeks ago? By the Spirit of God. Salvation occurs supernaturally. And you receive new birth. People came for many different reasons. Some were just curious. Some wanted Jesus to satisfy their desire for, to improve their health. Someone wanted to, to just engage in all the excitement of following a great teacher who apparently worked some miracles and was growing in great popularity. Not all that looks religious is righteous. But the ones who came by faith Independence of him, trusting, wanting not to be healed, but to know him. See the difference? Not wanting to get something, but to follow him, to give him their lives. I think those people encountered the Savior who forgave their sins. Are you pursuing a relationship with Jesus by faith right now? Pursuing? Are you bringing someone with you? You see what I'm saying? Who are you carrying? Daryl, who are you carrying? Are you bringing someone with you who needs some help? Someone who needs to know Christ? Someone who needs to grow spiritually? Are you parents? You're carrying these children. Not until they can walk, until they leave home at 25 and then you still carry them. I don't mean just financially, I mean spiritually, morally influencing. Well, that sounds exhausting. It is. And it's the most rewarding way to use your life. Who are you carrying? Are you willing to carry someone? It's exhausting. Somebody will tell you, leave them alone. Are you willing to carry them? And then are you willing to get dirty digging through a roof? Get out your shovels, Brookwood. There's a lot of digging that needs to take place. Starting in here, moving out to the community, moving out to the country beyond to the world. There'll be counselors here. Some of you do have some physical illnesses or disabilities. We'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. And you know what? Sometimes God heals miraculously. He doesn't always, but he does sometimes. There'll be people to counsel with you, to talk with you, to pray for you. They're here and they're at the Care Connection Room. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to not grow weary in well-doing. Help us to have the strength and the courage to to crawl towards you, to claw through the roof, to help someone else get access to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Yes, thank you, Pastor Perry, for that encouraging message. 
Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you experience transformed life. You can learn more about our church by visiting brookwoodchurch.org or using our Brookwood Church app. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week.